Hello, everyone. This is Brad Thomas with The Ground Up, and I'm back again with another CEO interview. And today I'm joined with David Lukes. David is the CEO of Site Centers, ticker symbol is SITC. Some of you may be familiar with the former name of the company, which is DER, and that's where I was familiar with the company as a developer many, many years ago. So, David, it's good to see you today. Thank you, Brad. I appreciate you having me. It's, uh, it's, it's good to see you, and um, I'm, I'm happy to spend some time together. Great. Well, uh, you know, uh, I haven't really interviewed many retail uh, REIT CEOs during COVID-19. We've done a few, Kimco, uh, a couple others, of course, many of the net lease REITs. But, um, you know, I appreciate your time, and uh, it's glad to see the recovery underway and the, really some, some really strong numbers that we're seeing in terms of leasing among most of the uh, retail REITs. So I guess to, to begin with at a high level, could you explain to our audience, David, a little bit of background on site centers, uh, the size of the portfolio, what's your focus, the key markets. If you could also touch on, you know, the spin that you did uh, a while back with RVI, um, kind of, you know, uh, bifurcating the, the portfolio. So how, how large is that portfolio today and what markets are you located in? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. Um, well, I'll try and give the the short-term summary, the company was originally developers diversified realty in the 1960s, and it was a ground up developer of suburban shopping centers. Um, and eventually along with a lot of REITs, uh, right around the same time as Kimco in the early nineties, uh, DDR went public in 92 and, um, and went through kind of that first REIT phase of aggregating. Uh, it was a, it was a pie eating contest and it was a race for size. And at one point, DDR got up to about 770 properties across the country. So it was a very, very large enterprise. And, um, and then through the great financial crisis, I think, you know, the company, like many, uh, learned that uh, leverage uh, may not be the best and most prudent approach uh, to growing. And uh, since that time, there's been, you know, some pruning of the portfolio just to, to basically get the balance sheet in better order. I came to the company about four years ago. And what I came into was a great culture, uh, a great group of people, um, a company that was still quite large. We still had over 300 properties, but our balance sheet was very highly levered. And one of the ways to delever is to sell properties. Um, but as you can see from kind of our, our, our the, uh, enterprise value over those years, um, it's a bumpy way to sell properties. And it's hard for shareholders to see delevering over a long period of time. So um, we did a spinoff of a company that we named RVI, Retail Value Inc. And the reason we did that was we were able to lever up the RVI portfolio and then dividend that company to shareholders. And therefore, the remaining company, which was renamed Site Centers, suddenly had a much, much less uh, leverage profile. We went from probably eight and a half times net debt to EBITDA down to six and a half times net debt to EBITDA. So going two turns down in one swoop with a spin um, was very, very helpful to our balance sheet. Um, the other kind of positive attribute of doing a spin is as a management team, most of your career, you're building a portfolio, right? You get to construct a portfolio as an investor, but it's rare you get the chance to deconstruct a portfolio as an investor. And so one of the benefits I had was I could handpick the top 50 or 75 assets out of 300 and decide which assets we wanted to have as kind of the, the family heirloom properties. So today we have around 78 wholly owned properties. Um, and so if you kind of think in your head, 
The company at one point was 770. Now we're down to about 78. So we've handpicked the properties we think have the best defensive attributes, the best IRRs, um, the most uh, kind of positive demographic trends. And um, in terms of markets, we're concentrated in about 12 markets, and it's uh, it tends to be the bigger ones, you know, L.A., San Francisco, Boston, uh, New York Metro, um, a lot in Atlanta, uh, a lot in Florida, uh, Texas, Colorado, Arizona. Um, we've got a couple of great assets in Cincinnati and Columbus, Ohio. But basically, we, we didn't really do the spinoff and concentrate by submarket. We did the spinoff to concentrate on durability and growth. And it just so happens, if you look through all of the demographics and all these other things, the one common theme in our portfolio is wealthy suburbs. I mean, we have the, the most wealth concentration of any of the strip center REITs. We've got an average household income of about 106,000 uh, per family. So it's a very wealthy uh, trade area. Um, and if you think I like that idea before the pandemic, you can be assured that I'm very happy with that idea post pandemic because the wealthier suburbs, frankly, have gotten better, not worse in the last year. So that's kind of where we are stand today. Um, you know, the, the company uh, is doing really well. Um, it, it, was a, it was a difficult year that I'm, I'm sure we want to talk about. But if you were a shareholder of DDR back in the day, you're now a shareholder of site centers and RBI. RBI has been selling assets for three years. We're down to, um, you know, a, a handful of 10 properties in the U.S. and we've got about 10 properties in Puerto Rico. Um, all of those are for sale. And, you know, our hope is that we continue to wind down that company through asset sales. Great. Yeah, I, uh, I remember the Puerto Rico portfolio at DDR. Um, I was formerly a franchisee for Athletes Foot. And, uh, you know, so I was a landlord and a tenant, figured I would try my, how, I, how good I was at a tenant. I was also a franchisee for Papa John's. Uh, my first location was a shopping center that I had built. Uh, I think it was actually in front of a DDR uh, shopping center, actually, on an out parcel that I had developed. But anyway, Long story made short is I bought the franchise rights to have Athletes Foot in Puerto Rico, the entire place, and I uh, never built any stores. But uh, why did I do that? Well, I used to build stores for Payless Shoes. And I remember the Payless real estate manager used to tell me how much money Payless was bringing in because people love shoes in, in Puerto Rico. So I, I thought, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and just do, clean up and, and sell a lot of shoes in Puerto Rico. So I never did. I actually had the franchise rights there, but I never built stores. But uh, Puerto Rico has obviously been a very, uh, very interesting market. So, uh, but I, I can certainly see, you know, why that spend made sense and, and spending off some of those non-core. So I didn't realize, uh, David, you had, you know, really reduced the size of this portfolio uh, so substantially, you know, with, with that uh, 78 property. So um, what is that, if you could touch on the balance sheet a little more, I know you've got that S&P rating, triple B minus, um, you know, is, is the goal to uh, try to move up a notch uh, kind of how, do, how does that balance sheet look today, uh, you know, coming out of COVID? Yeah, well, the, the balance sheet's in great shape. I mean, we're, we're kind of in the mid fives net debt to EBITDA. So I think we're in the top quartile in terms of, you know, total debt load. From a, from a rating agency standpoint, I would love to be triple B flat. Um, I, I, I think that, that that's a, a corporate goal. You have to remember that, you know, the rating agencies, uh, they definitely favor companies of size. So if you're a Regency or a Kimco or, you know, Boston Properties or uh, Prologis, um, you know, size does matter from the rating agencies. Um, the other thing that's holding us back, uh, arguably, is that the preferreds that uh, I know you're aware of, we've done two issuances of preferreds. We just redeemed one of them. 
Um, but the preferreds from a, from a shareholder standpoint, you, people consider those equity. Um, but from a rating agency standpoint, they really consider them debt. And, uh, and so I, I think that redeeming one of the preferreds has helped our uh, outlook from the rating agencies. And, um, you know, that is a goal. I mean, it, it's important. We, we are virtually 100% unsecured. And so the bond market is very important to us. And um, we are very, very careful to uh, do everything we can to keep the bondholders uh, happy because it's a very important part of the REIT structure. Yeah. And in terms of the, the dividend, so can you kind of walk me through, looks like right now, the, um, make sure I'm correct with the numbers, looks like 44 cents a share, at least what I've got on my screen, annual annual uh, dividend, is that still uh, intact? And kind of, can you talk about, you know, how did, how did, uh, you know, how did you do during the COVID situation and how is that dividend, you know, kind of coming back through COVID? Yeah, well, let's, I guess, first of all, the, to me, dividend policies and the REITs um, have gone through a couple different phases. You know, there, there was a phase early on when, you know, 15 years ago, most of your shareholders were, uh, were individual investors, retail investors, and the stocks tended to trade, you know, a lot on the dividend growth and the durability. I, I personally think that's changed a little bit because most of the shareholders are institutional now. And while the dividend is definitely important and it's also a requirement of being a REIT, it's also um, returning capital to shareholders, which means your retained earnings are less and it's harder to grow organically when you're, you're, you're putting all of your, uh, your free cash flow out in the dividend. So um, many companies, including ours, are being very prudent about what is the right dividend policy. And I think boards of directors, including ours, talk a lot about what's the, what's the right dividend policy. We're, we're kind of targeting 70 to 75 percent, you know, payout ratio, which um, you could call historically conservative. I would call it appropriate. Um, the reason the dividend is hard to figure out on site centers, if you look at your chart, is that, you know, we delevered, we did a spin, we hit a pandemic. There's been a lot of lumpiness along the way. The better way to look at it is our press release, which we put out um, on May 11th which basically set our first quarter dividend at 12 cents a share. And, um, and that was after suspending the dividend for a couple of quarters during the pandemic. Again, just to be financially prudent. Um, it's hard for me to, to kind of rationalize drawing down your line of credit at the beginning of the pandemic, which most companies did, and at the same time paying your dividend. I mean, to me, it, it seems a little silly. Uh, you're basically levering up to pay your dividend. And um, what we did is suspend the dividend just so we made sure that our balance sheet was in order. Once the collections showed in the fall that they were really coming back, that's when we reinstituted the dividend. But we did it in a way that recognized that collections were not back to 100%. So our, our fourth quarter dividend was a little bit lower. Our first quarter dividend uh, went up 9%. So we're at 12 cents a share for one Q. And I think what we communicated on our earnings call was that the dividend payout ratio was targeting somewhere around 70 to 75%. But that right now, we're simply going to look at the current cash flow and set the dividend on that. And if cash flows go up, then the board's going to have to reconsider whether that dividend should remain flat or whether it should grow with earnings. Um, as of today, it sure feels like there's a lot of tailwinds in the sector. And I think a lot of companies are going to be looking at their dividend policy over the next three or four quarters. And so as an investor, you probably are thinking to yourself, I'm not sure how 21 is going to look, 
but towards the end of 21, you're probably going to get a better idea as to what 22 and beyond look like from kind of an ongoing policy. Yeah. Well, uh, I want to also, if you don't mind, touch on RVI. I, I, I was looking at that screen and I'm still, I'm still seeing a dividend yield of 6.7%, but obviously you mentioned, you know, they're winding down this business. Uh, I see a market cap of about 360 million. So how does that translate to dividend there? I know you're, you're continuing to sell off, you know, the properties and, and monetize those, really get to a liquidation, you know, event here. Um, so how, how do you address that dividend for RVI today? Yeah. All right. Well, first of all, they're totally separate companies. They have separate boards of directors, separate dividend policies, and RVI does not give forward guidance because RVI is, is the business plan is to liquidate. So we don't give guidance. Right. The dividend for RVI, if you look over the past three years, it has been completely based on the taxable requirements. And the taxable requirements, as you know, are taxable net income. So it depends on which assets are sold, what their tax basis was. Uh, and so the dividend coming out of RVI has been lumpy. It's not like a traditional REIT where you set a dividend, you, you, you hold it and grow it a little bit over time. It's almost the opposite, where as the company shrinks and whatever is sold, that's what's dictating is the, the, you know, the federal requirements for the dividend. The other complicating factor of RVI's dividend is that we have been uh, issuing the majority of the dividend in script and not in cash. Okay. And the reason is that the company has a large CMBS debt. It's got a piece of preferred that site centers owns and, um, and the company is doing all they can to pay off their debt before they really start pushing most of the cash back to shareholders. Um, so it was never really intended to be a dividend stock. It's more of a, of a liquidating stock where if you're an investor and you think uh, the properties are worth X and it's trading at, uh, a number that's smaller than X, um, that's how most of these hedge funds that are trading in that stock are looking at it. Good, yeah, that makes sense. And I, I, I'm just really inquisitive about it because we've seen, as you're aware, um, one recent example of realty income in Vary, and um, they're gonna spin off their office, uh, propose to spin off their, their office properties, the, the, the combined company, Vary, and realty income into a separate office, uh, office read. Uh, similar similar structure, but um, at any rate, uh, but they're going to continue as an ongoing concern. Whereas you know uh, uh, your company RVI uh, is uh, is really looking to to you know complete this liquidation. And I guess back to back to site centers. I've got to just ask you really one last question, David. And I'll let you go. Is is uh, is the you know we did also see some news recently with Kimco and Weingarten. Um, you know, how, how would you, uh, I guess, characterize your growth? You know, how, how are you going to grow going forward? Are you in a position to be more offensive uh, these days, you know, kind of coming out of COVID in terms of acquisitions, uh, development, redevelopment? So kind of how do you, how would you kind of sum up the growth story for site centers? Yeah. Well, first of all, um, just on a sector-wide basis, I've been in this industry for a long time. I have never seen anything like this. Uh, the operating environment went from really bad to being the best in my career. There, there's no question that in, in 25 years in this business, I've never seen so much demand for space. Um, it, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. Um, I mean, we leased 2 million square feet during the pandemic. Um, you know, the, the first and second quarter were, were huge numbers. Um, new retail concepts are being announced by multiple different uh, retailers. 
their store unit growth. Um, the retail sales are high. Lots of people are moving to the suburbs. A lot of those people have more money than they did a year ago. And it sure looks like a, a, a large percentage of our culture is going to work from home in some way, shape or form. And if you're home one day a week, you're near your shopping center 50% more than you used to be. And the retailers have figured this out. So from an operating standpoint, I mean, even just look at one, one of the key metrics I love is your, your leased but not commenced. In other words, you've signed a lease, but they haven't taken occupancy and paying rent yet. And, and what it indicates is where is occupancy going? I mean, right now, we're at uh, over 400 basis points of lease that haven't commenced yet, which means occupancy is going up. And when you're in that situation as a company where occupancy is going up, rents are going up, demand is going up, and there's no new supply because nobody's building shopping centers, it's a very good time to be um, allocating capital externally, which is why I'm glad that we've got a good balance sheet. We've got a large line of credit. Uh, we just did an equity offering um, a couple of months ago, so we've got, we've got capital. Our dividend policy is, pr is pretty um, uh, um, conservative, so we've got free cash flow. And I think we are going to be fairly aggressive in external acquisitions over the course of the next couple of years because we've got the capacity to do so. And I want to be in that tailwind with growing rents and growing occupancy. Um, so this is one of the few times where I think as an investor, I can make a sector bet based on demographics, based on uh, retailer demand, based on rent growth. Um, so it's a great time to be buying. I think you'll see a lot of the REITs focus more heavily on external acquisitions than they have in the last five years. Yeah. Well, that's great. And, it's, and especially, you know, now you've, you've uh, of course, nobody anticipated this pandemic, but, uh, you know, this spin was really opportunistic in, in many ways because it, it really, you know, put you in a position where you've kind of gotten rid of the, you know, the, the, uh, the so-called ugly ducklings, uh, for lack of a better word, so that, you know, so that you can turn into a sleep, what we call a swan or a sleep well at night, you know, investment vehicle. So, uh, Looks like you've done a great job there, David, and I want to thank you for your time here, kind of going over the company. And in fact, I'll admit we have we just uh, I just sent my uh, one of my associates a note. We we just added uh, site centers to our research coverage because we didn't have we had RVI in there, but for some reason I just never have covered sites. So you've got a new uh, a new research team now covering the company. So uh, we'll, which means we'll definitely be back in touch with you uh, next quarter for sure. That sounds great. Well, thank you. Thank you for the attention. I appreciate the time and it's always, always good to chat. So uh, thank you again. Thank you.